Welcome to the 152nd podcast and the 122nd as a city on a hill church. Pastor Mike continues his series in Isaiah by opening chapter 1 verses 18 through 20. Countries and people groups who begin by knowing and following Christ enjoy great blessings from the Lord, economic, spiritual, life-enriching. But often as time goes on, such blessings cease to be recognized as from God and begin to be seen as man-produced. Men become arrogant, men become rebellious, and the nation or people group comes under the Lord's condemnation and blessings cease. Such was the case of Israel. In these verses, God tells us that such condemnation need not be permanent, that by turning back to God, those grievous blood-stained sins can be washed away and become, as Pastor Mike has entitled this message, white as snow. Here is Pastor Michael Clark. Chapter 7 and verse 14, we're told that a virgin would conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God is with us. And so, again, this was written, uh, Isaiah originally wrote it somewhere around 700 B.C. The Essenes that wrote it for the Dead Sea Scrolls, copied it for the Dead Sea Scrolls, wrote it 200 years before Christ, and then Jesus was born of a virgin. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, we're told about the Messiah that's going to come. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. And so we're told about this son who's going to be born. It's going to be a child, the Messiah. It's going to, he's going to be born of a virgin, Isaiah seven fourteen. His name is going to be called God is with us. And Jesus name literally means Jehovah's salvation. He is God in the flesh. Uh, he Uh, His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. So he will be exactly equal to God the Father, which we know Jesus is equal to God the Father. He said, I and my Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This was written prior to the birth of Jesus Christ. And then in Isaiah chapter 53, this is the one where even to this day, Uh, the Orthodox Jews have such a challenge on their hands with Isaiah chapter 53, because again, uh, most Orthodox Jews don't believe that Jesus is their Messiah. Uh, They vehemently deny that, that God had a son or that God became a man. And yet we read in Isaiah chapter 53 in verse three, speaking of the Messiah who is to come, he is despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. 
all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Who else could this be speaking of besides Jesus? This perfectly describes the sacrifice of Jesus as the suffering servant, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. And so this is a very significant book. The book of Isaiah is a very significant book for the Christian church because it really proves predictively who the Messiah would be. And we know that it was written, even the copies of the original script were written at least 200 years before Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. So back in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. Now, God prescribed in the law of Moses the sacrificial system, which was given to the Jews so that their sins could be atoned for, so that they could enter into the presence of God, so that they could have fellowship with God. And we know that all of these sacrifices that God instructed Moses to uh, to do and, and the children of Israel, the Jews to uh, to practice, they were all symbolic. They were all pointing us toward the future, toward God's only son, Jesus Christ, who would come and who would fulfill all of these sacrifices. Uh, God is holy. Man is not. And so God had to make a way for man to have fellowship with himself. And because man is sinful and the wages of sin is death, the soul that sins shall die, the law says. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness or remission of sins. And so because God wanted to have fellowship with man, with his creation, he uh, came up with a way, a sacrificial system to where innocent animals would die in the place of sinful man. And again, all of this would would point later toward Jesus Christ. But you had the sin offering, which they were required to bring a sin offering for any unintentional sins that were committed, any uh, sins that were committed uh, without any knowledge that they were sinning, because we all sin uh, even if we don't intend to. Uh, they had the trespass offering, which was where you trespass the law, where you willfully, knowingly broke a law of God. They had the burnt offering, which was for the total consecration, that you would come before God and you would surrender yourself to God. And the burnt offering would picture your total uh, uh, being consumed by God. You had your votive offerings when you would make a vow or otherwise known as a thanksgiving offering, where you would uh, ask God, if you would do this for me, um, I will give you a sacrifice. You pray and God answers your prayers. And then you would come and you would bring the thanksgiving offering to thank God for answering your prayers or a votive offering. If you made a vow to God and then God performed that which you vowed, you would bring the votive offering uh, to God. So all of these Offerings were being practiced in the days of Isaiah. They had been practiced since the time of Moses. And so these were biblical. They were things that God had instructed the children of Israel to bring to him so that they could have forgiveness of their sins and so that they could enter into fellowship 
uh, with God. Of course, you have the Passover lamb, the blood of the lamb that was put on the doorpost and the lentil there in Egypt so that the angel of death would pass over the firstborn male in every household when the angel of death took and killed the firstborn uh, of uh, Egypt, the children of Israel were spared because the, the lamb, the blood of the lamb was put on the doorpost uh, and the lentil. And so they were commanded to continue to uh, offer the Passover meal and the Passover sacrifice so that they would not forget what God had done for them in bringing them out of the bondage uh, of slavery of Egypt. You have Yom Kippur, the day of national atonement, where the nation of Israel would nationally have their sins forgiven. Once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies with the blood of the sacrifice. You had the scapegoat. Two goats were chosen for Yom Kippur as a national forgiveness for national Israel. The other ones were for individuals and then for families. Uh, and so you have the one goat where they would confess the sins, symbolically transferring the sins of the nation upon the scapegoat, which is where we get the word scapegoat from. And they would drive the scapegoat out of Israel and drive it out into the wilderness, never to be seen again. And that was symbolic of God removing the sins of the nation of Israel. Then you had the goat of sacrifice. This would be the one that would be slaughtered. The blood would be taken by the high priest one time, once a year into the Holy of Holies. And the blood would be sprinkled seven times upon the mercy seat, upon the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, And that was the only time that anybody was allowed to enter into God's presence there in the Holy of Holies in the temple of Israel. And so all of these sacrifices were pointing toward Jesus Christ. They were all fulfilled by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. But at this time, the Jews were entering into a period of great hypocrisy. Uh, they were claiming to be children of God. They were claiming to be God's chosen people. They were bringing the sacrifices that were prescribed by the law of Moses, and yet their hearts were not in it. It was hypocrisy. They were going out and they were worshiping other gods also. They were practicing fornication and injustice and greed and lust in the streets of Jerusalem. And so God is saying here through the prophet Isaiah, I'm sick of your hypocrisy. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. It had just become religion to them. They were just going through the motions of religion, and God didn't want that. He wanted their hearts. He wanted it to be sincere. He wanted it to be authentic, true faith. In Malachi chapter 1, this is the last book of the Old Testament, you see that it was still a problem there in Israel. God says this through the prophet Malachi. Malachi chapter 1 verse 6. He says, the son honors his father and the servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible 
And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer them then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor, verse 9, that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. God was saying, it's just worthless to me. You're just going through the motions. Not only are you just going through the motions of bringing me these sacrifices, but you're giving me the worst of your flock. You're bringing me the lame, the sick, the blind, the animals that you couldn't sell for any money. You're giving God your worst instead of giving God your best. In Isaiah, in chapter 33, the prophet Isaiah says this, Isaiah 33 and verse 14. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. There you go. That's the problem. Hypocrisy. Fearfulness has seized the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, he who despises the gain of oppressions, who gestures with his hands, refusing bribes, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. And so God is saying sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness is, is, is gripping the hypocrites because God is holy. God is a consuming fire. He cannot abide sin. And so God is looking for righteousness. He's looking for those who walk uprightly, righteously, who speak uprightly, who despise oppression, who refuse bribes, who shut their ears from hearing about bloodshed and shut their eyes from looking at evil. And guys, uh, this isn't just to pick on Israel or to pick on the Jews of the Old Testament. This applies to the church Two, hypocrisy is a big problem in the church today. It has always been a big problem throughout the history of the church because the church is made up of man, men and women. We're all sinners. And, and oftentimes the church can just become no better uh, than Old Testament Israel was in the sense of practicing uh, religiousness, going through the motions of tradition, of religion, but it having no meaning at all. You're just going through the motions and somehow you feel better about yourself because you showed up to church on Sunday morning or you went through these uh, um, different things that are instituted by your by your specific denomination or what have you, uh, communion or baptism or confession or whatever it is. And you go through this, you know, this uh, motion of, of religion and, and yet your, your heart is not in it. Your mind is not here. Your mind is, is thinking about something else. You, you're out there living just like the rest of the world, like the rest of the unsaved world, yet you feel better about yourself because you have fire insurance because you come to church on Sunday mornings. And so it, it is, God hasn't changed, guys. He's still holy. He's still righteous. 
He still wants a people who are genuine followers. He still wants those who are authentic in their faith before him. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, as King Saul had disobeyed God, we read this, 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. Samuel said to the king of Israel, he says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, God has also rejected you from being king. And this was the first king of Israel, King Saul, before David uh, was anointed by the prophet. And David, the man after God's own heart, would become the king of Israel. But, but God is saying, um, you know, he doesn't want sacrifices and burnt offerings. He doesn't want religion. He wants your heart. And he wants obedience. He says it's better to obey than sacrifice. See, people think they could buy their way into heaven. To this day, people think if they give a big enough donation to their denomination, to their church, somehow that is going to secure, procure for them, uh, you know, a, a free pass when they get to the pearly gates and they think St. Peter's going to be there with the list. And if you give a big enough donation, St. Peter's going to go ahead and let you in, even though you're a scoundrel. Even though you're corrupt to the core, you're filled with with hatred and jealousy and lust and envy and all of these things of the flesh and of the world. And so uh, God is saying, no, I don't want your sacrifices. I want obedience. Obey the voice of the Lord to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Now, that was the first king of Israel, and that was how he lost uh, the kingdom, and it was given to another man, to King David, the man after God's own heart. Now, we all know that David was not a perfect man. He was a man just like you uh, and me, and he was a sinner, and he sinned. But he handled his sin in the right way. He came before God, and he genuinely repented of his sins, and God forgave him. In other words, he didn't try to buy God off or bribe God by bringing God 10,000 goats or sheep or bulls or rams to pay for his sin, thinking somehow I could buy my forgiveness with all of this animal sacrifice. David knew God. He was a man after God's own heart. David says this in Psalm 51, after his terrible sin with Bathsheba, taking another man's wife, committing adultery with her, she becoming pregnant, and then him killing her husband, Uriah the Hittite, having him killed so that he can cover up his sin, then marrying Bathsheba and pretending like the child was from their marriage instead of from adultery. And then, of course, the prophet Nathan uh, came and said, Thou art the man. And David repented of his sins. And this is what David said, the man after God's own heart. Psalm 51, verse 14. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise, for you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, these, O oh God, you will not despise. 
You see, God, he wants obedience. He knows we're going to fail. He knows we're going to sin. But when we fail, when we sin, how do we respond? Do we just think it's not a big deal? Do we think that God doesn't really care? He doesn't see or doesn't bother him? Of course, it, it breaks God's heart when we sin as his children. We know better. I mean, we, we're, we're the children of God. We have his word. If you're born again, if you're a Christian, if you're saved, you have his Holy Spirit. So we really are without excuse. So what do we do when we sin? We have to humble ourselves, a humble and a contrite heart. These you will not despise, O oh God. God's not looking for a big paycheck. He's not looking for you to come and somehow think that your service or your giving is going to atone for your sins. He's looking for a broken heart. He wants us to have his heart towards sin. And God hates sin. Obedience is better than sacrifice. David says this, going back to verse 9. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. That's the heart that God wants to see from us when we sin, that we agree with God. We don't make excuses for our sins. We don't try to justify our sins and we don't try to buy God off. We we admit it. We blow it. And David wrote this. He also wrote Psalm 32, which you can go uh, read later. The Psalm Psalm 32, where David also is speaking about uh, his repentance before God. And by the way, these are great Psalms, if you're struggling with sin, you're struggling with guilt for something you did in the past. God, Jesus died on the cross for that sin. But you need to come. You need to bring it before God. You need to humble yourself. You need to repent of it. Agree with God. Acknowledge your sin before him and let the blood of Jesus Christ wash you white as snow. He continues back in Isaiah chapter one and verse twelve. He says, when you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices or empty sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. You see, they weren't really fessing up to God for what they were doing outside of their time at the temple. They somehow thought if I go to temple and I offer the sacrifices, I could go live like the rest of the world. And God is saying, no, you're a chosen people. You're holy. You're my people. I put my name upon you. This is not so that you could come and just live however you wish. You have to obey me. I don't want this from your hand. You're trampling my courts. Your sacrifices are futile. They're vain. They're worthless. Your incense, which is like their prayers. He says, your incense is an abomination to me. And I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. People are coming in. They're not repenting of their sins. And they're going through the motions of religion. And God is saying, don't even bother. Don't waste your time. Go get right and then come to me. Dead works, tradition, religion, 
Ultimately, it's all hypocrisy. In Psalm chapter 50, the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 50. Once again, the psalmist declares. Verse seven. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house nor goats out of your folds for every beast of the forest is mine and a cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world is mine. And all of its fullness, will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Now, to understand what he's talking about, um, the, the bulls, the goats, the lambs that were brought, they were eaten by the priest, by the priest's family, by the Levites, by those who were serving the Lord. So it wasn't like God just killing a whole bunch of animals for the sake of killing animals. This is the food that was provided for the servants in his house. That's how one of the ways that God provided for the servants in his house, because they were serving the Lord. They didn't have time to go out and work the fields or have flocks and crops and things like this. Uh, and so uh, but God is saying you're, you're missing the whole point. He's saying it's all mine. Don't think that I need your food. I don't need your goats or your bulls. Uh, I own a thousand cattle on a thousand hill, hills and all of the animals uh, in the forest. The whole world is mine. Offer to God thanksgiving, pay your vows to the most high. And then God says, then you'll call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Look, guys, I was raised in in a very religious Christian system. I was raised as a Roman Catholic. I was an altar boy. I went to Catholic school, all the rest. And so a lot of this resonates with me uh, because I know what it was like to go through the motions of church. And I know what it was like to go through the motions of all of the sacraments and you know, First Communion and Confirmation and uh, all of these different sacraments that were there that somehow you feel if you just do all these things, then you're right with God. But the problem is, is that doesn't make you right with God. Those are all external. They're exterior. God wants our hearts. He wants us to be born again. And then he wants to rule over our hearts, over our minds through his Holy Spirit. Obedience is better then sacrifice. Now, this is what God says to the wicked in Psalm 50, verse 16. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing that you hate instruction and you cast my words behind you? In other words, you know God's word, but you don't do God's word. You think it doesn't apply to you. You put God's words behind you. He says, when you saw a thief, You consented with him and have been a partaker with adulterers. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit or you lie with your tongue. You sit and you speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. Gossip, tearing people down behind their backs. These things you have done and I kept silent. 
You thought that I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. Verse 22. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. And so the contrast, the wicked are the ones who take God's word and cast it behind their back, who hate God's instruction. They don't want God's teaching from his word. They don't want to live in a way that's pleasing to God according to his word. They think it doesn't apply to them because they're bringing in the blood of bulls and goats. They're giving money to the church. They're 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 serving and they think somehow I'm earning brownie points with God. And because I'm a good person, I'm better than the rest of them because they're not doing what I'm doing. I could get away with all of these other things. And God is okay with it. God says, you think I'm like you. I'm not like you. God's holy. He's holy. He's given us his Holy Spirit so that we can become like him. He wants us to become holy, not so that we can be holier than thou self-righteous people, No, so that we could have his heart, so that we could have his mind, so that we could reflect and represent God to the rest of the world. We have his name upon us as Christians. Micah chapter six, verse six says this. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Here's the answer in verse 8, Micah 6, 8, very well-known verse. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? That's what God's looking for in us, his people, justly, that we would be just in our dealings. We would be just. We would defend the, those who are being uh, oppressed, those who are suffering injustices, that we would be their voice, that we would stand up for them. You would do justly, that you would love mercy, that we would be merciful people. Merciful, because God's been merciful to us. So who am I to withhold mercy from someone who offends me when God has been so merciful to me? It's such a tragedy when Christians are always tearing at each other. Galatians uh, chapter 5 talks about that. Paul the Apostle says, you know, be careful if you fight and bite and devour one another, you'll destroy one another in the church. Mercy, because God has shown us mercy. Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. So many people that are religious, so many people that call themselves Christians, they're filled with pride. They disdain other people like the Pharisees of old. And they look down upon sinners. They look down upon the unsaved and think, I'm holier than you. I'm holier than thou. And that just disgusts God because none of us are holy. We're all sinners. He's shown us mercy. Therefore, what do I have to be boastful about? The only thing I could boast in is in the cross of Christ. I can't boast in my own good works and my own righteousness. I have no righteousness of my own. My righteousness is like filthy rags. And so is yours. It's only the righteousness of Christ that I could boast in. Again, in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 66, we read this in verses 3 and 4. He who kills a bull is as he who slays a man. 
He who sacrifices a lamb as he who breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a grain offering as if he offers swine's blood. He who burns incense as if he blesses an idol, just as they have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. So will I choose their delusions and bring their fears on them, because when I called, no one answered. And when I spoke, they did not hear or listen, but they did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. You may be fooling people, I may be fooling people, but we're not fooling God. He knows the truth. He knows our very mind. He knows our heart. He knows our thoughts. And the Lord is saying, all of your offerings are just worthless to me. They're less than worthless to me. It's like breaking a dog's neck or bringing swine's blood uh, before me. And again, the, the, the church is just as guilty, filled with corruption. The church is filled with perversion. Look at church history, guys. Look at the Inquisition, the Spanish Inquisition, where, where, where Jews were killed just because they were Jewish, tortured and killed by the church. Look at, look at the different kings that ruled over the peoples, and they would kill anybody, lock them up and kill them. John Bunyan, the one, the preacher who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, uh, the, the most read and published book in history beside the Bible is Pilgrim's Progress. He was locked up for years and years and years because he was an itinerant street preacher because he wasn't licensed with the King of England or the Church of England. And so the, the church is full, filled with uh, innocent blood. The church is filled with lust and greed. And you had priests and popes and bishops that were, they had little boys in their chambers and, 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 and girls and, and they were fathering children and yet they were uh, judging the people and making the people pay the church to have their sins atoned for, and yet they were the worst sinners of all. Total hypocrisy. The church is just as guilty, but we don't have to be. We have God's Holy Spirit. We have His Word. We are truly without excuse. In verse 15, Isaiah chapter 1, he says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. This would have been speaking of the human sacrifice that was being practiced at this time, as we looked at uh, in our first message here, that they were practicing human sacrifice, child sacrifice. And God is saying, you come before me and you're going to raise your hands in prayer to me. He says, I'm not going to hear your prayers because your, your hands are filled with innocent blood. How much innocent blood is on our hands in America, guys? Not, not, not only the fact that, that we have uh, murders taking place all the time on our streets and, you know, people are killed over a pair of tennis shoes or over a street corner to sell drugs. And, you know, there's just so many murders that take place in Chicago and Los Angeles and New York. They can't even they can't even keep track. You know that there's less than 50 percent of the homicides in America are ever solved. Less than half of, of the homicides. So that means that a lot of people are out there that have killed people. They have blood on their hands. And it wouldn't surprise me if they're going to church on Sundays in somebody's church. Thinking somehow I got away with it. I got away with murder and God must be okay with it. But beyond that, abortion, you know, 
how can we as Christians ever vote for a politician who is for abortion? How, how can we do that? I, I don't understand it. I really don't understand it. I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian. I worked in politics. I don't understand it. How could a Christian cast a vote for someone who's for abortion at any point in the pregnancy? Babies in the womb. That should be the safest place for them to be in their mother's womb. And yet we have politicians who are trying to spend public money, tax money, to fund the murder and the slaughter, the wholesale slaughter of unborn children in the womb. 61 million babies so far killed since 1973 in this country. At least 61 million babies killed. Talk about having blood on our hands, innocent blood. It doesn't get any more innocent than a baby in the womb. What did that child ever do? Well, it's a woman's right to choose. Well, no, it's not. That's a baby that has its own rights. Where's the, where's the baby's rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? And yet, there are many, many, many politicians who are for a woman's choice to kill her baby, and they call themselves Christians. Matter of fact, uh, Pete Buttigieg, who just dropped out of the race, he's openly gay as a husband and all the rest, and at one point he said to Mike Pence, if you have a problem with my sexuality, take it up with my maker. And everybody started clapping, you know. Take it up with my creator, Pence. This is how I was born. Well, now we know that he wasn't born that way because there's no such thing as a gay gene. Uh, in August, September of this year, they came out with the most exhaustive study ever done on homosexuality, bisexuality, transgender, etc. And there is no gay gene. It does not exist. People are not born gay. It's a choice that people make, often as a result of their environment that they were raised in, often as a result of sexual abuse that they suffered as children. But don't blame it on God, Pete Buttigieg. Your creator didn't make you that way. And he calls himself a Christian, you see. You have blood on your hands, God says. I will not listen to your prayers. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. In Isaiah chapter 59, we read this. Isaiah 59 verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor his ear so heavy that he cannot hear then what's the problem? If, if, if God's ears aren't closed, his ears aren't heavy, uh, his hand is not short that he cannot say, what's the problem then? Verse 2, your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. Does God care about our speech? He sure does. And you know, when you're, when you're watching a lot of movies that have a lot of really bad language in it, that is what kind of comes out of your mouth accidentally sometimes because it's swirling around in your head, in your soul, in your mind, in your brain. And God says, your lips have muttered perversity. 
Remember earlier in Isaiah 1, he said, from the sole of your foot, even to the head, you're sick. You're a sick people. You're a sick nation. And America is, is, is not far behind Israel at this point, what Israel was like at this time. So what's the remedy? Back in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16, here's the answer. Here's the antidote. Here's the remedy. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless and plead for the widow. This is the charge, always the charge to God's people. We are to be different than the unbelievers. We are to be like our God. The problem is, is that most people aren't really genuinely worshiping God. They pay him lip service, but they worship other gods. They worship the God of sex. They worship the God of money. They worship the God of power. God wants to give us a new heart. He wants to give us a new spirit. It's a reasonable request, God says. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God wants to forgive us, but we have to admit our sin before him. We have to acknowledge that he's right and we're wrong. We have to humble ourselves. We have to stay teachable. We have to be correctable. It's the fool who thinks he knows it all. In the book of Proverbs, the wise man is the one who receives correction and he becomes wiser still. You can't tell a fool anything because a fool already knows it all according to himself. In Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 25, we read this. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. This is talking about the new covenant, guys. The new covenant that we have in Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said, I, I, I give you a new covenant in my blood on the Last Supper, the night of the Last Supper. My body broken for you. My blood shed for you. Take and eat. Take and drink. This is the new covenant in my blood. This is what it's speaking of. The new covenant. Not the old covenant because we couldn't keep the law. Nobody can keep the law perfectly because we're all sinners. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, the prophet says this, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers and the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Thank God for Jesus. 
See, that, that's how this new covenant came to pass. Jesus came. He was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. It's by His blood that we're washed white as snow. This is how He, he gives us His Spirit. He gives us a new heart, a new spirit, and a new mind through the new covenant, through Jesus Christ. One more scripture here. I have more scriptures, but I'm not going to keep you because I'm out of time. One more scripture. Psalm 103, verse 3 says this. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Who forgives all your iniquities. Again, God wants to forgive us of our sins. He wants to cleanse us and wash us white as snow. But we have to come to him through his prescribed way, which is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the only way to the Father. No one comes to the Father but by me. Verse 8 of Psalm 103 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dwelt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. Verse 17, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. A broken spirit and a contrite heart. These you will not despise, O Lord. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at coahpodcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California.